Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. This is Peter Kapsner filling in for the day for Carmen LeBurge, who is in Arizona on a family event. And as we are just roughing it, oh, I I know it's got to be again about 60, 70 degrees warmer there than it is here. So we're 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 grateful for her externally. We might be struggling with jealousy a bit internally, right, Paul Perot? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) no question. (laughs) Uh, I think that's very fairly said. So, well, Fridays at this hour uh, often represents the entrance of Adam Holtz from PluggedIn.com into the show. And Adam, I I love dragging you a little bit early into the show before the segment actually begins because I always uh, always have so many sort of personal entertainment questions, and you are the guy to ask. And I I saw here this morning earlier that I think it was NBC is going to be one of the more recent entrants into this whole subscription streaming services game that seems to be taking over the world at this point. And uh, I'm sort of on, on mental meltdown about which of these services I should subscribe to. They're all somewhere between 7 and $10 a month, and it seems like there's about 4,300 of them now, and I don't really know where the value is. So can you talk me through what would be the best ones to subscribe to? Well, you know, I think it's getting closer to the point where you subscribe to the ones that has the one or two shows on that you want to watch, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, we, we subscribe to Disney Plus because we wanted to watch The Mandalorian, Mandalorian's over. We're still subscribed. I don't think we've watched anything on Disney Plus since then, mm. but I'm also unlikely to probably pull the plug on that subscription. And, and I think that's sort of the bind that we're in now. I mean, again, another one I've, you know, I've been seeing the new Picard Star Trek series advertised on football you know, uh, telecasts, and that looks pretty interesting to me. And so it becomes this sort of weird calculus of <laughs> – Okay, I know there's one show on here I'm really interested in. Do I do I pony up for it? Now I would say the two exceptions are the two that really, you know, were the trailblazers. Those are Amazon Prime and Netflix. Right. Um I think because they were first in the marketplace, they have a both of them in different ways have a broader selection of movies and perhaps original programming, although a lot of the original programming is pretty problematic too, but um, but you know we watch Stranger Things on Netflix. I'm not sure there's been an Amazon Prime show that you know, we have totally been into, but so I mean we have those. We have Amazon Prime. We have Netflix. We have Disney Plus. Not that you should or need to do what I'm doing, but with each new service that's available, I think you have to evaluate. Okay. Is there anything here that I really need? And I saw an article recently that the average person now, when they sit down to watch TV, it takes nine minutes to figure out what they're going to watch. Yeah, that sounds about so, right. <laughs> I mean, we're we're in this place of total choice overload, um, and what do you what do you do? So, I, I think if anything, it it just speaks to the complexity of where we're at, and it's not just as simple as turning on the TV anymore, or 
even as simple as ordering a cable or satellite package. Yeah, I think that's well spotted. I think it takes me nine minutes just to figure out the buttons on the remote control to navigate the app screen and, uh, on the well, home I, screen I of the computer. I can't get to Netflix. I know. Where is it? It seems like it's gone, and then I've got to download it again somehow, and I children? miss it. Yeah. I need my children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for all the rage that cord cutting was meant to be and to save money on these cable TV packages, it sure seems like I can end up paying triple at the end of the day. Uh, that's right. And, you know, ironically, for years and years, we said we wanted a la carte programming to be able to buy the channels we wanted. Right. Essentially, now we have a la carte, but I think the a la carte pricing is such that we didn't want to have to pay this much just to get, you know, one show that we wanted to watch. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the voice of Adam Holtz. Thanks for being my personal counselor this morning a bit here on Mornings with Carmen. When we, come, when we come back from a short break, I'd love to get your perspective on a couple of new movies coming out, that being Dr. Doolittle and Bad Boys for Life. So stay with us here on Mornings with Carmen. Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Peter Kapsner, subbing for the day for Carmen LeBurge, and we're with Adam Holtz from PluggedIn.com. And, uh, Adam, I'd be curious your thoughts on this movie, Dr. Doolittle, that's coming out. I know my kids seem to be pretty interested in this, but uh, I don't know what the, what the version is like, so tell us about it. Well, I think this is one, if you've seen the commercial, you have a pretty good sense of what to expect here. Uh, apparently, Robert Downey Junior must be existentially unfulfilled because he's still acting <laughs> after his hundreds of millions he made playing Iron Man in the you know the the Marvel franchise, the Avengers franchise. Um, this is obviously a story about Doctor John Doolittle, uh, who is a, a remarkable man in Victorian England who has the ability to talk to animals. This time around, he is sequestered in his animal-filled estate. He's the only human there. His wife has died and. And he is devastated. He's become kind of a hermit. And this young emissary from the queen goes out to contact him and, and says, the queen is gravely ill. She thinks you're the only person who can save her and talks Robert Downey Jr. into shaving his Methuselah-like beard and going on a globetrotting adventure on a big boat with lots of animals looking <laughs> for the cure. So, you know, it's a little bit Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's a little bit uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. I mean, it's in that neck of the woods storytelling wise um it's not a great movie it's not a terrible movie i didn't hate it as much as secular critics have, critics have and they have savaged it hmm. um i mean basically saying robert downey jr has phoned it in and i'm like well i think maybe he's earned the right to phone one in <laughs> the kids aren't going to notice you know we got digital apes that talk and have anxiety problems and you know we got big tigers with daddy issues and uh, a lot of psychology, actually, here, strangely enough. So I really liked it. There were there was one mild profanity and one misuse of God's name, both of which seemed unnecessary, but probably aren't enough to derail things here. And some bathroom humor and some mild peril. This is a movie aimed at 12-year-olds. Your 12-year-olds will love it. You will probably think, this isn't the best movie I've ever seen, but it's okay. And you walk out, and you'll never think about it again. <laughs> Adam, I don't think I would have ever lived to see, uh, see the day where I would hear the phrase, tigers with daddy issues. Is it, this is a real thing in this movie. No, it is. There, there's a tiger that's supposed to kill Dr. Doolittle, and they're all chained up. He's chained up in this you know, cell, and, and Dr. Doolittle is something of a, a psychologist and begins talking with this tiger about 
you know, his unresolved daddy issues in an attempt to get the tiger not to eat him. Wow. Well, I, I don't know really what to say about that. Uh, that that piece of it, maybe it is a representative. It was of actually the age. kind of a fun. It was a fun scene. I kind of liked that scene. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, moving on from Doctor Doolittle, we do have another. Uh, this is a reboot now of, of a pretty long dormant franchise, from what I understand. Yes. We see the the emergence of Will Smith and Martin Lawrence reprising their roles in the Bad Boys saga, and now we have Bad Boys for Life. And this seems like it's getting reasonable scores and reviews. But what are we seeing here? You know, this is a, an interesting film. If only because Will Smith hasn't aged a day, but Martin Lawrence has actually aged 25 years <laughs> since Bad Boys came out. Uh, these are two L.A. cops, and um, Will Smith is really, really gung-ho and still sort of just wants to go get the bad guys. But Marcus is less interested in dying than he used to be, and it turns out that that Will Smith plays a guy named Mike who gets shot and almost killed – and there is sort of an existential crisis here and that Marcus basically says, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, I don't want to die getting shot by a bad guy. Um, and the interesting part of this story, which is, as you would expect, full of R-rated violence, full of a lot of profanity. Those are the main content issues here. Um, Marcus thinks Mike's going to die and basically makes a deal with God praying in the hospital and says, if you'll save Mike, I'll retire from being a cop. Hmm. And so Mike lives uh, and Marcus retires. He basically kind of just becomes a pacifist. Uh, but Mike wants to go find the people who tried to kill him and has to talk Marcus back into it and say, you know, Marcus, I think God would be OK with you killing bad guys because it's for a good cause. I mean, that's the gist of it. So it takes this God sort of bargain theme uh, farther than you might think it it might. Uh, so that's interesting. You still got a lot of profanity and violence to deal with. Although, you know, it's all relative. I would say as R-rated movies go, this certainly isn't the worst one we've ever seen. Um, but definitely enough content here to merit the R rating and, and the bad boys title. Hmm. Is there enough of that question about uh, sort of the spiritual dimension you, you referenced there that you, you could have a conversation with some of your older kids about what is the greater good in this scenario? No, I think you could. I think you could. I I would probably take a half a step back and say, if you want to have a deep spiritual conversation about with your kids, do you need to go see Bad Boys for Life to accomplish that purpose? <laughs> like, Fair enough. You know, let's not – I don't want to oversell it here. It's it's more of a, a curiosity in a film where you wouldn't expect maybe that level of theological reflection. That's fair enough. Well, Adam, we got a couple minutes before just a short break here. I do want to ask you about sort of broadly speaking within Hollywood, the, the, the global box office numbers that seem to be emerging. Obviously, it's the start of the season here in January. It's pretty slow time. But for, for all of the predictions of the death of the industry, it seems like things are still pretty robust at this point. Yep, that is exactly right. So what do you see moving forward? Do we see with all this cord cutting that you and I talked about and, and all of what's happening with sort of home theater that there is going to be a place moving forward for the theater? I think so, because you can't replicate the theatrical experience. I mean, even if you have an 88-inch screen in your basement, it's still not a theater. Yeah. Um, and so I think if you want to go see Star Wars Rise of Skywalker or, or 1917, there are movies that are meant to be seen on a giant screen. So I don't think we're ever going to get completely away from that, but it may be that some of these smaller indie dramas – where it's less big screen dependent 
we see fewer of those on the big screen, uh, perhaps, than we've seen in the past. Yeah, well, I'd have to confess that I am a bit of a sucker for a reclining, heated leather chair with a big bowl of popcorn in the theater. Right, exactly. You get a two-hour massage while you're watching Rise of Skywalker. It's great. That's the voice of Adam Holtz joins us, as he often does on Friday mornings, to talk through some of the different entertainment realities of our current day. And, Adam, you don't just do movies. You do other uh, reviews as well. And so I'd be curious when we come back uh, from break what you've seen uh, as new gadgets at the Consumer Electronics Show and what might blow our minds here if we decide to engage. It is 19 minutes after the top of the hour, and we're chatting with Adam Holtz about some of the different dimensions of the entertainment industry. And Adam, the Consumer Electronics Show has come and gone, and maybe for some of our listeners, they might not even be aware of what the Consumer Electronics Show is. So give us a little rundown about what it is, and then if there's any sort of mind-blowing technological gadgets that emerge from this place. Well, obviously, technology permeates everything in our lives, and everything these days is getting smarter, you know, with smarter in air quotes, right? Right. You know, you can now get, you can now get a, a smart refrigerator that has cameras in it so that if you're at the store and you can't remember if you're out of grape jelly or not, you can turn the camera on in your refrigerator and find out. Wow. And this sort of technology, I think, is is beginning to just permeate more and more things. And as we get used to, you know, digital assistants um, like, you know, Alexa uh, or Siri, it just becomes second nature that you're talking to this thing to retrieve information. And and so that's the trajectory here. And, and in that spirit, Samsung announced a, a new thing that you might think of as a mashup of Siri and BB-8, which <laughs> is called Bali. And Bali is a little round, seriously droid-like thing that follows you around with cameras and sensors and controls your smart home for you. So it, it is a digital assistant. Think of it as a next level digital assistant. It's one that has, you know, autonomy of movement to wander around after you. Um, and I don't know, I get a little bit 2001 here. I'm like, yeah. that's, that's cool. And that's terrifying, you know? Absolutely. And the old school grew up in Iowa you know, from a farming family, part of me is like, oh, for the love, turn your own coffee pot on, you know, <laughs> because that's what it'll do. It'll turn off the TV. It'll turn on the lights. Do I really need a little robot trailing around behind me uh, doing stuff? Like, again, I maybe I'm in old man get off my yard territory, but it feels like a solution to a problem that doesn't exist. But I can guarantee you we're going to see more stuff like that. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. I mean, I know how frustrated I can become with Alexa in terms of its ability to to interpret my language. And so if this little droid thing came with a Star Wars blaster to just turn around every once in a while on it, I might be mildly interested at that point. Yeah, now there's another one that the middle-aged man in me said, okay, now this I can get behind. There's a new thing called the motion pillow, and it's a uh, it's a pillow that has four airbags in it. And it senses when you're not breathing right, like, or snoring. Yeah. And it'll inflate, inflate the pillow to turn your head. So instead of having your wife elbow you in the ribs in the middle of the night <laughs> because you're, you know, you sound like a hacksaw, your smart pillow. See what I said? You know, everything is becoming smart now. Right. Did you right. know that you needed a smart pillow? I know. Um, I get it. No, you didn't. But when I read about this, I'm like, well, that sounds interesting. So, I mean, it, it's stuff like this that show. 
people that are taking existing technology and they're pushing it into new applications that it's like you thought, I never would have thought of that, but that's a pretty interesting idea. Well, so I hear people so, like Elon Musk every once in a while suggest that uh, if we're not careful, the sky is falling, Skynet is coming, Terminator's rising, the AI, artificial intelligence, we're not far away from human extinction. But when you see gadgets like this and the whole artificial intelligence thing, Adam, do you, I mean, how close are we really? Do these things really work on any of those kind of levels? Well, it's an open question. I mean, I've actually read articles on both sides and and there are compelling cases to be made both directions. I mean, there are a lot of scientists who basically say, look, you've seen way too many science fiction movies. And then there are people like Elon Musk that say, this is not as implausible as it sounds. And as we continue to build computers that are smarter and smarter and smarter, I think it, the potential for this becoming an issue is real. I mean, the other thing that we're seeing is biomedical implants that take technology and augment your body in some way. Yes. And if, the idea of putting a memory chip in your brain probably sounds like science fiction now, but with all of this stuff, there gets to be a tipping point. You know, you'll have your early adopters, and then it'll be a few more, and then suddenly it's mainstream, and then suddenly you're at a place where if you don't do it, you're at a disadvantage in society. And, you know, that may be five or 10 or 15 years out, but I think that we're going to start having to ask those sorts of interesting technological and biomedical questions because that's where all this stuff is going. Yeah, and I think there is one thing that emerged from this that I do want to say that has my attention at this point, and it does have to do with sort of that biomedical extension of oneself, and that is, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it the correct way, but is it the Sarkis Guardian XO, where you can put on sort of an exoskeleton that allows you to suddenly be able to lift 200 pounds with one arm? Do I, do yeah. I have this right? Yeah, I think so, yeah. And, and this is, I mean... My first thought was, well, this is Sigourney Weaver and aliens. <laughs> you know, if I've got a big exoskeleton, you know, if I have a xenomorph suddenly spitting acid at me, I got something to do about it. So, um, again, it's really useful because it enables you to lift more. And so for people who are, uh, you know, involved lifting heavy things, it sounds like a great advancement. Um, is there a horror movie waiting to happen with somebody wearing a Sarkos Guardian XO? Probably so. <laughs> Uh, and so the implementation begins to be a question with all of this stuff as well. Well, it does seem like it'd be wildly useful, like in those days when we want to rearrange the furniture in a room, if I could just slip this thing on and just go one-handed on yeah. the sofa, I mean, as opposed to breaking my back. Or right? even better yet, I can I can tell my wife to do it. I'm right. like, honey, honey, you know where the Sarkos Guardian exo, exoskeleton is? Why do I have to do it? Yeah, well, I am constantly lugging down 40-pound uh, bags of rock salt into our basement. I would love to oh, slip yeah. into the exoskeleton and just take them all down in one shot. That's right. I, so I think there's hope for us, Peter. I love it. Well, one last piece there. It looks like there was a retro sort of pinball machine that takes us back to yeah. the day where we went to the arcades. Was this of interest to you? It was, actually. This is the one thing on the list that I thought, you know, if I win the lottery, I might buy this. But I don't play the lottery, so I'm not really probably going to buy it. It's a Stranger Things pinball machine that projects images, animated images, directly onto the pinball machine play field, which – Frankly, it feels like it defeats the purpose of pinball a little bit, but, you know, this looks pretty cool. So even pinball machines are getting more advanced these days. No, I love it. Well, thanks, Adam, for joining us and just talking us through so many dimensions of the movie industry and whether we should cut cords or not. And, of course, all these interesting gadgets. So have a great weekend ahead. I will do it, Peter. You do the same. Thank you. Yeah, sounds great. Take a short break here. Do some more bottom of the hour news. When we come back for the last part of our show this morning, we'll be joined by Robbie Angle of True Face Ministries and talk a little bit about what it means to get behind the mask and come more into our authentic self where we can find some greater hope and peace.
Boy, so many things to think about here from the first half an hour of the show from Stone Street's uh, breakpoint right there to some of what Adam was bringing up about new technology. And, Paul, you at least referenced that you might be interested in the kind of brain chip that would allow us to... I want to have the ability to remember phone numbers again. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be very fair. Even to have the grocery <laughs> list somehow yeah. you know, beamed into my brain would be there you go. I like a that. helpful form of technology. Well, I know up next we uh, have um, True Face Ministries coming on, and uh, this is a, a ministry for you that uh, has some significance, and you wanted to speak to that a little bit this morning. Uh, yeah, okay. I, back in 2011, 2012, I kind of bottomed out. Yeah. I was going through a situational depression, a lot of stuff going wrong, and it really came down to a good chunk of it was my perception of God and my relationship mm. with him. Was I trying to please God or just trust what God has already given me in the gospel? And it was a struggle. But um, that book, uh, the books of True Face, as well as The Cure and others, so instrumental yeah. in um, recovery, so to yeah. speak. Yeah, I think what you just outlined there, Paul, is a pretty common experience for so many of us. So up next year, just after a short break, we're going to talk with Robbie Angle of True Face Ministries, and we'll get into that, as well as some myths about our destiny and how we can think about our life as we move towards the future. This is Max Locato. Hospitality and hospital come from the same Latin word, for they both lead to the same result, healing. You know, when you open your door to someone, you're sending this message. You matter to me, and you matter to God. Do you know people who need this message? Your hospitality can be their hospital. All you need are a few basic practices. Issue a genuine invitation. Let your guests know you want them to come. Make a big deal out of their arrival. One of God's children is coming to your house. Address the needs of your guests. Modern-day hospitality includes the sharing of food and drink and time to talk and listen. And then send them out with the blessing. Make it clear you are glad that your guests came. Offer a prayer for their safety and a word of encouragement for their travel. Open your table. Even more, open your circle. This is Max Locato. And we are back on Mornings with Carmen this morning. I'm Peter Kapsner, subbing for the day. And we are joined at this time by Robbie Engel, who is the CEO of True Face Ministries. Good morning, Robbie. Hey, good morning, Peter. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. It's great to have you with us. And of course, Paul Perot gave a little setup there and speaks glowingly of the ministry that you do. And I would love, before we get into some of this article that's written about some of the myths of our destiny and how we think about our lives moving forward and how we can do them maybe in a more peaceful and centered way, I'm curious, how did you get into True Face Ministries? What even is True Face Ministries? Give us a sense of the background here. Yeah, I'll give you a little context of about how screwed up I am. That'll that'll <laughs> give you some indicators of how I got into True Face. But you know, I've been a I've been a Christian for a long time since I was a, a, a little boy. And humility and grace and trust and like what the gospel really means as a new creation, I, I knew conceptually in my head, but had a hard time experiencing it. Um, also, I've been a pretty good Christian my whole life. Mm-hmm. I uh, I'm a Type A firstborn driven. Um, amazing parents. They were, they were young lifers, uh, student staff at Young Life. And, you know, and then I found myself in my young 20s uh, doing missions work in northern Pakistan after an earthquake in 08 with my wife, Emily. We were working with Samaritan's Purse, 
Um, and so I'm here doing missionary work in Al-Qaeda territory. And that subtle driver in me said, you've arrived. Finally, God, you're, you're doing these amazing things for God, and you've always wanted to. And it was the most broken I'd ever felt spiritually during that time. It w- in the same time, as I, I was a part of incredible ministry and in what God was doing. And I just felt God saying, Robbie, stop. I, I don't need you to do anything for me. Uh, as your father, I would rather you go back to the States, be a janitor in a high school and be aware of my love for you for 10 minutes a day instead of your 15 hour days and doing missions in northern Pakistan. Mm. And if you knew me, you would know the depth of my pride and my fears and how much easier it is for me to do for God than receive his love. It's way easier for me to do 15 hours in Pakistan. So I was like, please, God, no, let me do something for you. And that was a season where I started to realize the the ceiling of my experience of his love and grace um, and and the driver of pleasing and striving and doing for God out of my pride. So fast forward a few years, I'm working at North Point Church in Alpharetta, leading a men's group, and I came across a book called The Cure and by the True Face guys, and it changed my life. It gave handles to these principles that I had been wrestling with of how I view God and how I viewed myself, my identity. So I became a fangirl. I bought a bunch of books, built, uh, helped infuse True Face into North Point Church and hundreds of men's groups and married groups. And I think I peddled enough books that eventually <laughs> the guys answered my phone call. So uh, we became friends with Bruce McNichol, Bill Thrall, and John Lynch. And uh, yeah, over the past year, uh, they have gone through a transition, asked me to consider being the president. And so I left my role as director of adult ministries at North Point to steward this little message uh, to bring it to people. I'd be curious. Uh, that's an incredible story too, Robbie. But I'm curious, when you mentioned this book, The Cure, and you talk about some handles on which to hang that really sort of helped you in, I think, what is a pretty common question that, that drives many of us, whether we're successful by exterior metrics or not, what would some of those handles be that you began to hang on to in a different kind of way? Yeah, some of the handles were how in in order to experience the fullness of the gospel and God's love We've got to see him and ourselves the way that Jesus saw us. And, and what does it look like to really f- see God um, as a father who's adopted me as a new creation, as a fully uh, as a son? Um, and, and what that does to our identity and our shame, if we see ourselves as saints who occasionally sin or sinners striving to be saints, what is the outcome and the difference of that? Um, and so I began to experience um, and see myself in a way that he saw me, which just started to unlock um, the depths of his grace um, and allowed me to start trusting God and others with me because I stopped looking at myself as a mess who had to do enough to earn love and just started being able to receive his love. I think that's well spotted. And I think about Robbie, when he described those kind of characteristics and in the ways in which we relate to a God and how God sees us, it sort of occurs to me that some of this is dependent on where we perceive our home to be. Because, you know, you think about a child uh, growing up at home, they begin to sort of adopt the values of the home they live with and the values of that. And if we're making our home out of this earth, we're going to do the kinds of things you described that really does wreak havoc on the soul. But if our true home, as Paul would describe, is that we're citizens of heaven, then we do begin to experience these values that you just described and the reality of our relationship with God that, that the earth really doesn't know much about. And it's hard to anchor ourselves in that if we don't see our home as heaven versus what's happening in this earth. That's well said, Peter. I agree. And it feels like we, we receive these truths when we come to faith. 
And then we slip back into, okay, so now I got to obey and do for God to, to make sure I'm okay with him. And he's going, no, 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 you are perfect just the way you are. I am, you have Christ in you in the spirit. You get to mature into who you already are, not try to become something new because I did that for you mm. on the cross. It's enough. Mm. And, and I, and, and getting that in my head was very different than the journey that I've been on over the past years of really what does that mean in my life and my relationships. Hmm. Uh, Robbie, would you say that maybe epidemic is too strong of a word or would it rightly describe sort of this sort of beneath the surface level of angst and and potential pseudo depression that many people are feeling because they do feel like they have to hide behind this mask of success and pursue these things that seem like they would bring them life from earthly metrics. But beneath the surface, there really is a struggle in the soul. Would you say epidemic is too strong? Uh I think it's it's universal that has been around with the Galatians of the natural go to <laughs> to try to get back to doing and putting on the mask and striving and succeeding by the metrics of whatever the world and the people say are uh, tell us is success. We're surrounded by that. And I think in our culture today, um, it is it, it feels like that is heightened in, in the in the void of some of the truths that people have found in Christ, uh, the world's going to give us answers and that's going to not work. We've tried it for thousands of years and it doesn't work. And that leads to the anxiety you're talking about. So Mm. yeah, unfortunately I wish it was, um, more rare and uncommon than it is. (laughs) So I said, we're talking with Robbie Engel here is the CEO of True Face Ministries and Robbie, after we come back a short time away, I want to get into some of these myths about our sense of destiny and specifically one myth I want to get into, because I think it is relevant both to young people, but also to all of us throughout the course of our life is that to have a proper destiny means doing something big and impressive, kind of like the work you were describing in Pakistan, but there really is a different kind of destiny that's anchored in God's kingdom. And I want to talk about that next year on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Robbie Engel, the CEO of True Face Ministries, around some different myths of destiny that maybe we believe and we don't really even realize we believe it. And Robbie, I referred to one of them that I think is pretty pervasive about which you write compellingly, and that's the idea that our destiny really is about doing something big and impressive and teaching young people in the way that I do. I think there's a sense in which that if their life's going to matter, they believe they've got to do something big for Jesus. But this seems a bit of a a myth. What would be the truth in this that you would suggest? (laughs) Yeah, I I went after this myth pretty hard, as you guys have heard (laughs) um, earlier. And and the myth is, um, you know, and all of us, I think without uh, all of us can experience this because all of us have had successes and what we, you know, that next step, that next sale, that next promotion, we we tell ourselves that there's a degree of contentment and peace and fullness that our heart longs for that will come when we get to that mark. And all of us have got to those marks and we feel it for about half a second. And then we're back to the lack of peace and fulfillment and contentment because we're looking for that in the wrong things. And the world is saying, achieve, here are examples in front of you all day long of success. And we know the suicide rates of successful people and the depression is probably greater than the normal unsuccessful by the world standards person. So destiny in regards to what God could do in all of us has nothing to do with the metrics that the world is going to tell us. And we all know that intuitively because 
we've had those successes and they don't do anything to what we're really looking for. I think, Robbie, that's well said about the, even just the idea that kingdom economics function much differently than earthly economics, where Jesus says kind of backwards, upside down things, like if you want to find your life, you're going to have to lose it, and, and all of these ideas. And those things sound good, Robbie. And like you, I've been a Christian most of my life and have been sort of swimming around in those words. But if I really wanted to take an intentional step that direction, if I really wanted to move away from the idea of I'm going to continue to find that next rung on the ladder and really develop a life of love for other people, do you have some first steps you'd recommend for people to get off that crazy hamster wheel? Yeah, that's great. I think one step is, do you have uh, people in your life that you're fully known by and trusting that can help you stay the course and stay focused? Because everywhere else we're going to be Um, pointed in different directions. So do we have a community of people that we're doing life with? The second is um, uh, only you can do of of evaluating your heart of what is the driver and the motive behind some of the things you're doing. That's a thin line in all of our hearts Mm. between what we're doing for God out of a love for God or to achieve and earn his love. Um, That's a a thin line. So uh, yeah, I, I think if we have and then it's a daily thing for me. And I still struggle with this. Um, and I check my heart and I have people in my life that know me and know my heart to keep me accountable to this. But at the end of the day, if I'm pursuing um, maturing into who he says I am and into a love and experiencing the joy and the peace of his love for me, then that's going to be what's most important. And Christ in me is going to do the incredible things. And that might be impacting one kid who ends up becoming the next Billy Graham. Mm. And that will have been the greatest destiny that I had no idea I did. Or that could be selling a million faith-based books and and speaking around the world. It doesn't matter, but it's going to be Christ in us that does whatever he wants to do on his economy. So the real thing is, if we're not spending time and enjoying him in a right perspective of trusting, not trying to please, then we're trying to do it and we've got our hands on the wheels and he doesn't. Mm, I appreciate that too, Robbie, just that idea about if we're going to want to try to swim within the rivers of God's economy, it it really is a daily thing. And I I think that's a helpful reminder to many of us who maybe feel like, hey, we jumped in those waters for a few weeks and kind of get how these waters work versus the other waters of our culture, but how often and easily we sort of jump out of there and, and, and into the previous one. So this really is, as Paul would say, kind of an I die daily kind of idea, isn't it? Yeah. And, and, and it's the subtle shift that we don't do a quiet time daily because there's all been parts of our lives where we feel better about ourselves when we do a quiet time daily. But it, are we doing that as a reflection because we want to spend time with our father and yeah. learn and receive more of his love for us? That's a fundamental different shift that points to this us doing for God versus us receiving his love, mm. which is where destiny and, and the purposes of how God's designed us are going to be fulfilled when we're in step with with what he is doing in and through us. Yeah, it's kind of a crazy thing, Robbie, and that, that ministers to me, I know, too, of how many years I did maybe quiet times out of a sense of trying to prove something to God. And it sounds oh, kind of yeah. crazy, but I, I had to actually give it up for a while to just create space for something new to grow. And, and in that space, finally, uh, at least the, the start of a love for God's word began to grow in a different kind of way yeah. uh, to like oh, something different. Well, we've got a couple of minutes left. There is one other topic I want to touch on quickly that I think a lot of people maybe can, can uh, empathize with, and that is this myth that destiny happens once. And if I miss it, I'm going to have a mediocre life. And so if you feel like you've missed that train, Robbie, whatever that train might be, is it true that you're sort of just destined to a life of mediocrity? Well, 
No, but it depends. <laughs> but we've got. But we talked about the first one first. That it's not anything that we do that defines our destiny. Yeah. Because if it's it, we we can't mi- we can miss the train if it's something we do. We could have missed that promotion that that whatever it was. Um, but if it's not connected to what we do and it's how we love and in our relationships, which all people on their deathbed tell us, we've been told this thousands of times that the only thing with hindsight when we're at the end of our life that matters is relationships and relationships are just a vehicle to give and receive love. And we can do that every day. So as it has nothing to do, destiny doesn't have anything to do with missing something because you, because today we have an opportunity to love God and love others. And that has nothing to do with missing that. We mm. could have missed it yesterday, but today we have the opportunity countless times to love God and love others. Well, and that's really where God's grace meet, uh, meets us, doesn't it? His, his mercy is that phrase okay. that his mercies are made new every morning. They actually really are. They now we can get up each day and keep entering into this great story. Amen. Well, thanks well for joining us. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Robbie. I'd be curious if uh, people are listening today, where the, can they find more of your materials and more of your stuff? I think it's just really important topics that you cover here. Yeah, well, True Face is a ministry, again, that equips people to experience authentic relationships with God and others. So they can go to trueface.org and sign up for our blog and see our podcasts and resources. They can go to the website. That's the best place. Uh, Great stuff. Thanks for joining us again, Robbie. I hope you have a great weekend ahead. Thanks, Peter. See ya. Take a short break here and wrap up our show for the day on the 17th of January here on Mornings with Carmen. Well, fun to be part of the show again with you, Paul Pro, for all of you listening as well. I think as I reflect back, you've been on this show a little bit, and we think about Gary Stratton and Matthew Hawkins and Adam Holtz and uh, now Robbie from True Face Ministries. I mean, there's so many different kinds of topics, but the commonality in them are there people that in this time and in this age have said yes again to following Jesus and trying to shine a bit of light and, and be a bit of salt for our world. And so, Paul, thanks for booking these great guests oh, today you're and yesterday. You're welcome. It, it's a joy. And, you know, it, it's Again, I love the fact that we're really delving into the whole idea of what does it mean to be kingdom people? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's so important. I mean, that idea you and I referenced quite a bit yesterday about moving sort of into a post-Christendom world, Mm -hmm. simply meaning that increasingly so Christianity is going to be unwed from some of the social structures of the day, the education Mm -hmm. system and the the governmental system. And those systems aren't bad, and we need believers within those systems, of course. But for those of us that might be worried about where we are as a country and where our faith is, we are not concerned about God's kingdom and actual Christianity persisting and remaining. It really is the only kingdom that knows no end. I've heard some people get freaked out if we fall Christianity. No, Christianity is not falling. God is, look what's happening around the world, even in places where it's really bad. The church is thriving amidst persecution, but it's thriving. Yeah, you, you can't have a 2,000-year-old story. I can't think of another story that is 2,000 years old since the death and re- resurrection of Jesus that you can have the confidence that is actually going to persist. There isn't any business in this world that is mm-hmm. going to persist for that length of time. There aren't relationships that will persist for that length of time. And yet, how often, and so many of our guests refer to this idea that we get caught up, understandably so, in stories that are important, but they do have a temporary nature to them and how hard it can be to anchor ourselves in this kingdom. And then I love the fact when you really think about, okay, so the little things I do for the kingdom— yeah. Really do matter. Yeah, and really you're, sort of, you're sort of standing now in the, in the halls of the Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 12 people, mm-hmm. these great clouds of witnesses, and so therefore let us run this race with perseverance and continue to fix our eyes on Jesus as we do so. Well, wrap up our time with what is normally a Christmas passage in light of all of this, but uh, it is a beautiful passage that does speak to this from Isaiah chapter 9, the 6th and 7th verse. It says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God, 
God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government, there will be no end. And that is to whom we give our allegiance, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and that tomb is empty. There is always hope and always future. Have a great weekend, everyone. We'll catch you soon here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.